Hello and welcome back. Today we are going to be looking at slavery. Slavery in the Old Testament and slavery in the New Testament. But before we begin, let us remember 1 John 1.9 as may or may not be necessary. Pastor Merritt, take it away. All right. Slavery, bondage, or enforced service is attested from the earliest times throughout the ancient Near East and Far East. In antiquity, slave labor was utilized mainly by wealthy families and in royal building projects such as the construction of the pyramids in Egypt and Pharaoh's store cities. The Jews were enslaved in Egypt for more than 400 years. In Palestine and Syria, the slave was usually a domestic servant rather than an agricultural or industrial worker. In the Alak tablets, discovered in Syria, by the way, the highest number of slaves belonging to one master was said to be three. The big landowners, like those of Babylonia and Assyria, seem to have preferred free tenants to slave labor. Tenant farming on the halves or thirds seemed to work better. Let's take a look at the etymology uh, of uh, the word itself, of course, in the Hebrew to begin with. The most frequent Hebrew was a verb translated to serve, and it was abad. It means to work or to labor. You can find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, as part of the Ten Commandments, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Also in Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, reading through verse 20, the Pharaoh said, Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. Yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. It was then... uh, often used to mean to serve a master as a slave. But the noun form being ebed, in addition to slave, had a variety of meanings. Notice how it is used in Exodus chapter 21, verse 5. Let's see what Exodus 21, 5 has to say. And if the servant 
our word, shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. This was one of those unusual cases where he was given his freedom and he says, nope, I want to stay here because I want to stay with my wife and my children. Sounds like a good man to me, David. That works. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. In 2 Samuel 9, 2, Ziba, who might better be called a foreman, was said to be Saul's servant but was seemingly a ranch foreman. And in verse 2b and 11, thy servant is a polite expression of humility. In verse 10, Zeba's 20 servants were bondsmen. All right, and then also we find in 2 Samuel 9, 2, uh, the word servant, a translation. And there was of the house of Saul a servant, maybe better foreman, whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant. Better translated, maybe loyal subject is he. Or am I in this particular use? Now verses 10 and 11 of Second Samuel 9. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants, slaves, shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring him in the fruits. And that master's son may have, that thy master's son may have, Food to eat, but Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants, our way, our word, better translated, or can be translated in the plural, slaves. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the, the king hath commanded his servant, loyal subject, so shall thy servant, loyal subject, do. As for Mephibosheth, remember he was a son of Saul, and David had brought him into his palace because he loved Saul so and had asked, is there a, a man who is from the family of Saul? Uh, because I want him to eat at my table as one of the king's sons. So he sent for him and he got him and there was someone who was helping him and that was Ziba. So he brought Ziba along with him. All right, in deference to the office of the king of Israel, the word Ebed also meant the king's subjects, especially his mercenaries, officers, and ministers for example, David to Saul and Joab to David. And then in 1 Samuel 17.32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, 
thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine. Well, we know what happened. He was able because <laughs> he had a few stones for him. All right. Now in Second Samuel fourteen nineteen, we see it used of Joab, his military commander, who David could never handle, by the way. The king asked, Isn't the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered, As surely as you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right or to the left from anything my lord the king says. Yes, it was your servant, Joab, who instructed me to do this and who put all these words into the mouth of your servant. And that was a trick, you might say, situation on the part of Joab, who was a, had been conned into asking David to let his son come and live in his palace. But uh, that's another lesson for another time. All right, the Hebrew word na'ar, translated young man or servant, suggests that often one's attendant was youthful. Genesis 22, 3 and 5, we see it used in both verses. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This was a lesson that David did so well in his Old Testament overview when he was told to take the boy up the mountain and put him uh, on a beer, B-I-E-R, and uh, kill him. And you remember what David said, so I refer you to David's earlier lesson. All right, to illustrate how Na'ar is used of young men and boys, I will give you four examples. Are you ready? Genesis twenty-one twelve. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because he is through Isaac, that your offspring will be reckoned. Again, I refer you to an Old Testament overview which David has provided earlier on an earlier podcast. I can't remember how many we have, David. Do you remember how many podcasts we have? It's a, there's a ton of them. I want to say 20 some odd. All right, now let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5, where it's translated young man. And in verse 6, then David said to the young man <clears throat> who brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? It, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said, and there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and said, What can I do? He asked me, who are you? An Amalekite, David asked him. And I answered, 
Then he said to me, Stand over me and kill me, and I am in the throes of death, but I'm still alive. And of course, he didn't want, that was his son. He didn't want the Arabs to get a hold of him and torture him. So he asked him to kill. Now let's see what happened. That's an interesting story. And again, David told you about <laughs> all about it earlier. So thank you, David. I was in bad shape at that time. So I stood over him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned, of course, talking about Absalom. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien. And Amalekite, he answered. A very interesting story. Be sure you go back and read what David had to say to you. All right, the verb sharat means to minister or serve in a personal way. For example, Joshua waited upon Moses. Old General Joshua, who took Moses' place and took the Israelites into the land. All right, Exodus twenty four thirteen. Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua and Moses wept up. Excuse me, went up into the mount of God. Exodus thirty three eleven, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again unto the camp. But his servant Moses, excuse me, his but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Now let's see what you call a female slave. It's very similar to a Hebrew word they use today, a shishka, but uh, it shifts far. A female slave was called a shifa. Her status was often that of a child-bearing concubine. Using Genesis twenty-five twelve for example, now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. All right, David, let's, let's take over, please, if you would, for some Old Testament protocol. All right, I forgot to mention earlier on, the outline is there for you on West Bank Bible Church podcast page. Uh, you can follow us there, and I am on page three, uh, a little over halfway down to where I'm starting. There were often work agreements, abodah, established between two parties for a stipulated period of time. These service or work periods resembled tenures of slavery. Genesis chapter 29, verses 27 and 28. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service, which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so, and fulfilled her week. And he gave 
him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Work of the hired servant or hireling, Hebrew sakir, was to be treated fairly and handled with kindness and not as a bond servant. Job chapter 7 verses 1 and 2, does not man have hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man? Like a slave, a bed, longing for the evening shadows, or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages. Jewish men often became slaves of their brethren because of poverty, i.e. they were unable to provide for them either themselves or their families. This was regarded as a kind of sale or better or personal property lease. The person sold the right to his labor in return for sustenance for himself and his family. The term was for seven years or until the next jubilee year. A jubilee year occurred every 50th year. Leviticus 25 verse 39. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel Abad him to serve Abodah as a bond servant. There were special rules with reference to Gentiles as compared with Jews. For example, in the case of a Jew, Leviticus chapter 25 verses 41 through 43. Then, after Jubilee, he and his children are to be released, and he will go back to his own clan and to the property of his forefathers. Because the Israelites are my servants whom I have brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Very important distinction. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. The Gentiles, on the other hand, could be purchased and sold like personal property. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 44 through 46. Your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you. From them, you may buy slaves. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you and members of their clans born in your country, and they will become your property. You can will them to your children as inherited property and can make them slaves for life. But you must not rule over your fellow Israelites ruthlessly. Restitution by law required the return of at least double the amount stolen. Should the thief be unable to make restitution, he was sold as a slave and he made the restitution by his work. Exodus chapter 22 verses 1 through 3. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. If he gets away, the thief must certainly make restitution. But if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for the theft. Children of a Hebrew slave became a slave at birth. Though this was a this was never permanent, unless he later, after or ten, after attaining his majority, elected to become a permanent slave. There were also special rules for his family members. 
Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and, the ch and her children belong to their master, and only the man will go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Let me make a comment about that, David. There is in the book of Hebrews, as I recall, uh, a statement that Christ became uh, a slave, and the term that is used there, he got his ear pierced uh, because he became a slave to the Father to take care of our sins, which he took them all upon himself. Uh, and that's how, of course, we get our salvation. But instead of saying he became a slave as such, it says he took the, he got a person to take the awl and pierce his ear and thus signifying he was a slave because he took care of all of the sins of the world. Excuse me, but I thought that was interesting because it is used Nowhere in the book of Hebrews. Which has nothing to do with all these young people and these piercings they've got all over their bodies. Absolutely not. <laughs> Which I'm not sure I'll ever understand, but that's okay too. Jewish children, or of a defaulting Jewish debtor, were claimed along with their father as slaves. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 39 through 41. And if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor, and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant, but as an hired servant, and as a sojourner. He shall be with thee, and shall serve thee until the year of Jubilee. And then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his fathers shall he return. Some of David's earlier, I'm sorry, some of David's early followers were defaulting debtors who fled their creditors. First Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Gath was a, a city of the Philistine, and of course Saul was after David, wanted to kill him. Uh, but uh, he went to the Philistines and talked to them and got an agreement so that they gave him the city of Gath. And so all of the folks who were indebted 
in essence, slavery, in slavery, not all of them, but many of them went down to serve with David, uh, who, it, it's a very interesting story, and we encourage you to read about David and his escape from Saul, King Saul. All right, excuse me, David. The Jubilee year mentioned above in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 40, occurred every 50th year. Every 50th year, all Jewish slaves were manumitted. Besides freedom, granted in the year of Jubilee, a relative of a Jew might also redeem him. A family member could redeem one of his brethren. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 48 and 49. After that he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him. Or any that is nigh of kin unto him of his family may redeem him. Or if he be able, he may redeem himself. If not redeemed, however, a Jew would receive freedom after seven years together with a gift from a master's flock, his threshing floor, or his wine press. The gift was designed to get the former slave started on the way to economic independence. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12 through 15. If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year, you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. David, my dad used to tell me that uh, many of the Jewish people that he liked and loved so and did business with in his garage business would tell him about the fact that when one of them had come up on hard times, they would go to the priests and the priests would give them a start. In other words, would provide them with certain monies that they could use. And I think this pretty well describes the same situation uh, that they would uh, be able to go into business and return to their situation of prosperity. But so much of that. Which is different today, this being a hand up. Versus now we have a hand out. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. In most cases, a man's wife and children also went free with him. Exodus chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If, however, the male slave had been given a wife by the master, then she and her children remained with the owner. If his master gave him a wife, 
and she have bore him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. He could, of course, buy them back or elect to stay as a slave with his family. If so, he came before the elders, had his ear bored through with an awl against a doorpost, and thereby became a lifelong servant. And that's notarized in Exodus 21.6, Deuteronomy 15.7, Psalms 45.40, verses 5-8, through 8, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Deuteronomy 15, 17. Then thou shalt take an owl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. The board earlobe was not only used to show the election to stay a slave, but the custom was also used metaphorically to teach how Christ elected to become a slave to the Father's plan. Compare Psalms 40, verse 6 to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. And they read, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. And then Hebrews 10, 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. And the reference there, they're talking about Christ just prior to him being born. Illegal slave trading took place even in the best of families. Genesis 37, 27, and 28. Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands. He's talking about Joseph being sold here and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our only flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver that to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt and that's how he got there. And there's just a numerous stories about his service there and of course how he wanted to see his little brother. But that's another story for another time. Our special provisions covered a maid sold as a household slave who becomes betrothed to the master or one of his sons. Her relationship ceased to fall under the rules of slavery, but rather marriage. Should she not please her master, she could not be resold, but was to be immediately redeemed. Exodus 21.89 If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, He must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners. That would be someone other than a Jew. Because he has broken with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. She is to be treated like any other betrothed maiden 
and this even included a dowry. He must treat her equally with any other wife he took. And then verse 10 and 11 of Exodus 21. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Gentile slaves purchased from the nations or captured in the conquest of Palestine or in later wars remain permanent slaves along with their children. Numbers 31.9 and Leviticus 25.44-46 Numbers And the children of Israel took all the women of Midian captives and their little ones and took the spoil of all their cattle and all their flocks and all their goods. Leviticus 25, 44-46 Both thy bondsmen and thy bondmaids which thou shalt have shall be of the heathen that are round about you. Of them shall ye buy bondsmen and bondmaids. Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. And ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondsmen forever. There were at least seven ways for a slave to become a free man. Are you ready? Redemption by a payment of money, granting of a bill of freedom, disposition through a testament or will, making a slave one's heir by command of the Lord, by loss of an eye or a tooth, a female slave married, a master or a master's son. If a slave of an Israelite is circumcised, he was thereby entitled to participate in the annual festival days and the weekly Sabbaths. Okay, David. I think we're going to uh, stop there and pick up with New Testament slavery in our next lesson. Uh, but it really struck me, and I could tell it, it did uh, Pastor Mary as well, when it says, I said one of the seven ways for a slave to become a free man, one of them was by loss of an eye or a tooth. And I'm thinking at some point I'm going to take a tooth out when I'm ready to go, <laughs> if that's all it takes. Uh, and it might happen on its own anyway, so uh, that'd be a way to do it. Uh, we again thank you for listening and being with us here today. It's been our pleasure to present the word. I hope you are blessed by it. We look forward to seeing you next week. And remember to you can reference WestBankBibleChurch.com for all manner of lessons as well as these podcast lessons. There's a lot of audio lessons that are on there that have been done in the past. Uh, Pastor Merritt, you have a closing prayer for us today? Sure. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. We recognize the privilege that we have in this uh, endeavor in time, 
And we ask that you would strengthen us so that we can make the word of God clear. We can make our salvation doctrine, your salvation doctrine clear. So uh, as the scripture says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week. So long.